There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host, David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. It's always a treat and a great pleasure when I get to have a conversation with winemakers on the other side of the pond. And today, I'm especially pleased to introduce you to a winemaker with a very interesting story that includes both his winemaking practices and also the very unique construction of his not-exactly-brick-and-mortar facility. Today, my guest is Robert Eden, vintner and co-owner of Chateau Maris, a sustainable biodynamic wine producer in the south of France. And Robert, I've been very excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Robert, you really have such an interesting story that really makes me think back to 10 or 20 years ago when organic wines were anything but mainstream. And as for biodynamic, I think few if any consumers had even heard of them. I remember when I first started this show about 11 years ago, I'd frequently ask my listeners, to email me the names of some earth-friendly wines that they really liked. But the sad truth was, at the time, there was definitely some progress that needed to be made, and most of what I tasted was not very exciting. It was, I guess I could say, a lot of yuck for the buck. But things have changed in a very big way and in a relatively short period of time. Can you explain what really happened? Because it's really been quite a phenomenon. Yeah, I think the organic in the initial phase was slightly lackadaisical method of culture in many ways. It was slightly, you know, let's go organic, but we didn't really know what organic meant. So there was a lot of non-practice really going on around a method which requires as much discipline as conventional, if not if not more so. And little by little, you know, as, as you say, over the last decade or two, we've come to understand that it requires as, as, as much attention, if not more, than the conventional method of culture, to both in the vineyard and in the cellar, uh, which has led to much more serious tasting, much more, much better tasting organic wine. You know, what's really amazing to me is how many grape growers and winemakers in America have instituted more earth-friendly practices. In fact, I think the majority of producers in California have jumped on the bandwagon. What is the status in France where you are? Just how strong is the movement toward organic and biodynamic? In general, there's more awareness, isn't there? As you described them, you know, sort of earth-friendly practices. I haven't got the statistics on top of my head, but we're still a, a very, very, very large minority. Those practicing, maybe, maybe I'd say uh, I don't know the statistic. You'd need you'd need to check them. But I mean, uh, just to give you an idea, you know, I, I think in the whole Languedoc Roussillon, there's only about you know 10% of the vineyards are organic, and that's 350,000 hectares of vineyards, one of the largest regions in the world. So, but, yeah, I, I, I just think probably around the world, we're probably talking below 5% of the vineyards are organic. So in general, there's a great deal of awareness, of earth-friendly awareness. I agree with that. Actually, certified organic, still very, very few. Okay, so before we get too 
too far along. Give us a little geography lesson in terms of where your chateau is, your total production, and, and of course, what you produce. Well, the winery where we're producing, we produce uh, uh, Chateau Maris wines is a 125-acre uh, biodynamic estate in the south of France. I also make organic wines in, in different areas of France and in Spain. But my actual personal vineyard is between Montpellier and Toulouse, uh, overlooking the Mediterranean, overlooking the Pyrenees Mountains, south of France, 20 minutes or so, east of a wonderful medieval town called Carcassonne, where we have, as I say, 125 acres of biodynamic grapes since early 2000. So just how exactly does a British man wind up growing grapes and making wine in France? Uh, well, he starts off by pruning vines in Australia in his gap year and then he then I continued around the world and actually discovered the south of France when looking for, for Chardonnay uh, back in the early 1980s and uh, thought it was a sincerely beautiful region and yeah and just decided that as soon as I was able I would like to settle down there and especially buy some vineyards there and over the years have tasted numerous wines coming from that area and ended up being fortunate enough to buy Chateaumaris in, in the, the first crew of the Languedoc called well, that's totally cool. So how old is Chateau Maris? Well, the, the domain itself had been uh, one generation in the Maris family. He had no children, and, and that's why he sold it. Okay, so let's talk about biodynamics for a bit. Do you remember when you first got excited about biodynamics, or did you have a fair amount of skepticism in the beginning? Or perhaps you were looking in that direction right from the start? Yeah, I mean, skepticism added in anything which is, which is new and, and unknown and going into uncharted waters. I, I discovered it because we acquired to rejuvenate life back into the soil at Chateaumaris, which had been a, a, a treated a lot with, with chemicals and, and pesticides and was in, essentially a dead soil. One of the ways of rejuvenating life back into the soil is our composting manure. And it took me some time to realize that composting manure isn't about just leaving a part of rot in the corner. It's actually an art. And one of the methods of composting manure is the biodynamic method where you infuse the compost pile with uh, the biodynamic preparations in a specific way. And, and, and we tested that against a, a pile of manure from the same origin, which we didn't infuse with the biodynamic preparations. And three years in a row, the, the biodynamic pile produced just, just what, what was a much more potent fertilizer. And so, yeah, looking at, you know, if it could turn a pile of manure into a potent fertilizer, you know, perhaps this method was an interesting method to look at uh, with regards to the, to the whole farm. So, Robert, if you would, I'd love for you to share with listeners exactly what biodynamics entails, because I think that when most people first learn about it, they're taken aback by what most would consider some very strange and unconventional practices, which leave them shaking their heads and thinking, nah, that can't possibly work. Well, yeah, I mean, in the detail of it, it's, it's, it's taking the preparations are uh, specific plant-based preparations, which are prepared in, in, in a particular way and at particular times in order to keep the uh, as much as possible, uh, the active energy, the active components of the plant active. And we just take homeopathic doses of those specific preparations. So that might be chamomile, it might be dandelion, it might be yarrow, it might be the, the, the 
bark of an oak tree. And those homeopathic doses, we, we mix with uh, uh, part of the manure, and then we, we, we drive that mixture of the preparation and, and, and the manure into the heart of the, the manure pile. And, and we, just, we just go around you know, doing this preparation after preparation. There are six preparations which we use uh, doing that. And that's the way we infuse a compost pile. A compost pile is, is often called a worm because it's about, sorry, I speak in meters, but I mean, it's about, you know, two meters wide and a meter high and 10 meters long. So it's like this sort of long worm of manure, which we infuse with these preparations. And it is, it is that which activates the fermentation which takes place, um, which breaks down this, this matter into a very potent uh, fertilizer. All right. So one detail I want to zero in on is the biodynamic practice of actually stuffing cow manure into cow horns. Now, I have to admit, I was a leading skeptic where this is concerned, but I've seen the results over and over in recent years. It really is very amazing. But Robert, can you explain why it works so well? Because I've got no idea what's going on here. I really don't. Well, there are lots of lots of different reasons for that. One thing is, is perhaps to, to, to sort of uh, avoid the specifics and understand that the, the, the biodynamic method of culture is one which connects and respects all living organisms and understands their, their sensitivities to what is going on around them. So that's really what's taking place. Now, exactly exactly how that happens uh, uh, chemically and physically, there are many different interactions. What we see is the, the, end, the end products which are produced when the cow horn is, is buried at the, the, the winter solstice and, and, then, and then uncovered in the spring. And then that connection which he's had is, is, has empowered it in, in some way uh, to become a, a very potent fertilizer. And it's connected with all living things, with, with, all living, uh, with all living energies which are going on around it. That's the important part of biodynamics is respecting everything that is alive and everything that is alive has a sensitivity. Well, like I've said, I've been in many biodynamic vineyards and it's amazing how terrific the quality of the grapes and wines are. So I'm definitely a believer. Uh, I just really don't understand it. The understanding is that you come, come back to a lot of simple basics. 50% of the plant grows below ground. We are beings which actually live above ground, but we're affected by our surroundings. So the 50% of the plant which is below ground is also affected by its surroundings. The way the plant will feed itself, the way the plant will grow above ground is, is affected by how it lives below ground. So all that environment below ground, the life of the soil, what is going on, the interaction of the soil, how the soil is covered, the temperature of the soil, everything to do with it is affecting the plant's health and, 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 and the plant's sensitivity. And that is what is helping produce uh, better tasting grapes. All right, Robert, we're going to take a brief commercial break right now, and we'll be right back as we take a closer look at a very unique biodynamic wine producer in the south of France, Chateau Maris, operated by my very special guest, Robert Eden. And by the way, if you want to experience these very special wines produced under the home label, you can definitely find them at Total Wine and More, along with about 8,000 other outstanding wines from around the world. You can learn much more at Total Wine and More. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. 
At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and my guest today is Robert Eden, co-owner of Chateau Maris, located in the south of France. There are a lot of really interesting things about this amazing chateau, not the least of which is the extremely unique construction. I was absolutely blown away when I learned about the construction materials, and you're going to be blown away too. It's so amazingly unique. And, and Robert, can you break it down for us? Because I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't read a ton of material about what you were able to accomplish. Well, yes, it was understanding that we're working in, you know, almost at a, at a fanatical level in, in, in the vineyards, uh, uh, respecting the, the ecosystem, respecting our plants and striving to have a high quality natural grape. I didn't want to, at that stage, bring them into any old building and to, to have all this work just to be neutralized by some uh, different uh, energy sources. So decided I, I wanted to build a vegetable building and we didn't have any need for any uh, air conditioning units inside and we found that hemp the straw of hemp was a very good uh, product mixed with lime and then we we added a molasses based fixer to make a hemp brick because the hemp actually breathes and so so it, ex- it exchanges with the air outside so uh, when the temperature's hot it's cool inside when it's cool outside it's, it's warm inside so we built this thousand square meter winery completely out of hemp it's a total vegetable building it's totally recyclable actually we could knock the whole thing down and just you know uh, bash up the bricks and get, put it back in the vineyard. The vineyards would be very happy. And it's a natural building. It's a you, you know, there's no conductive metal in it. There's no false energies going on around. It's a funny place. People feel good inside the winery when they come and taste inside the winery. They, they like it. They feel good. Oh, it's comfortable in here. And you know, we hope that the wine feel the same way. That's our belief. Is that having a completely vegetable building and a neutral energy space was, was important to me. Plus, you know, as a building itself, it's obviously very environmentally friendly in many aspects. Tell me when and how you became an environmentalist because it's obvious that this has pretty much been a lifelong thing for you. I'm really curious, what pointed you in that direction? Initially, it was 
discovering you know, that we really needed to do it uh, for the soil at Chatamaris, then the whole awareness uh, of entering into the biodynamic culture, I realized that the biodynamic calendar was the same as the bee calendar. So it was the same that we actually use for keeping bees in order to make honey. And I had kept bees before in Tuscany with a friend of mine. And so suddenly I realized that all this was interconnected. And then that led on to understanding that we really couldn't stop as well as having children and, you know, initially getting on the tractors and putting on my overalls and putting on my mask. You know, I thought, what am I doing? And, and, and spewing stuff into the soil here eventually will become a comestible product. This is not good. So all these, you know, bits and pieces actually started clicking <laughs> uh, in, 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 in my whole being. The one thing about biodynamics is, is, is and I think to a certain extent, or, you know, just the organic culture in general, is it's not what you do from nine to five. It's what you do uh, 24 hours a day. It changes your whole life. It changes the way the way you look at every aspect of, of, of what you're doing. And so, yeah, it, it just continues on that. And, and then you start to enforce checks, uh, natural checks uh, on yourself and and, and and on the ways you're conducting your own life. Because every little bit counts. So I, 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 and I love that, that, that phrase actually from uh, Dr. Jane Goodall. She says, every person can make a difference every single day by doing just a little thing for the environment. I really adhere to and aspire to. That is so amazing. So you're working the land and you have an epiphany that you can do an even better job by doing things differently. It had to be both a challenge and an exciting revelation. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's also not easy. I'm not alone. I don't do everything by myself. I have a number of team members which work with me and, you know, it requires it requires everybody to adhere to the same method. And, and when we started doing, we started doing a lot of things which were fairly untried and untested in many ways. So uh, uh, we didn't know if it was going to work and especially when it came to building a, a big winery out of hemp. Uh, so um, you do a lot of things like that because, yeah, you, you've got to try, haven't you? You've got to get out there and do it. And, and just all, all I hope for in the end is that our, our wines taste better, that our soil is healthier, that our ecosystem is healthier, that, that our community is, is in a better place as well for what we are doing. So, Robert, why do you think it is that the wine industry is so proactive where being earth-friendly is concerned? Because, you know, you can look at a lot of different ag products, but in the wine industry, it's just amazing to me how much effort is put into protecting the land and in general being sensitive to the environment and lately particularly where global warming is concerned. I can't think of another industry that's more environmentally conscientious. What do you think? Yeah, I think the wine industry is a, it's a global fruit farming industry, isn't it? And, and also when it comes to wine, there's that famous word is, is that uh, my wine is different because it comes from my terroir. So uh, therefore, if you're not looking after your terroir, <laughs> why is your wine special? So I think that, you know, when people started talking about their terroir, they suddenly started looking about what they were doing to their terroir and how they were treating their terroir. And the fact that, you know, fruit is very sensitive, you know, products, which is uh, which is uh, related very directly to taste. Maybe you could say, you know, unlike in other forms of agriculture, unlike corn or, or, or wheat in a certain way, you know, we're sort of slightly removed from the taste of it um, because it's used for many other different products as well, or rather than just a, whereas wine, you know, we're drinking it, we're tasting it every day. So 
I think that those aspects have uh, increased awareness in the, in, the, in the wine world about uh, how important it is to protect your soil. You know, I really think you've captured the essence of what biodynamics and respect for the land is all about. I hadn't really thought of it in the terms you just expressed, but the idea that it all begins with the soil is pretty eye-opening to me. It, it stands to reason that if your land is beat up and not worthy of planting grapes, you really have nothing. So while I imagine most people figure it begins with the grapes, it really and truly does begin with the land, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's you know certainly one of the things that we're doing with the home products as well, which we make uh, with Total Wine and More. It's all about connecting with the soil where those grapes are growing. It's all about working with the farmers that are growing the grapes in those soils, how they're treating it, how they're respecting it. It's really interesting that when I'm supposedly, as it were, winemaking, I'm actually spending so much of my time in the vineyard looking at different soil types, looking at the health of the vine, looking at the wood of the vine. You know, they're, they're, I'm, my telephone's ringing off and people say, will you come back into the winery? It's definitely, it's, listen, we've got to understand that, that, that that's where the living aspect of it is. You know, this is this is where great tasting food comes from. Great tasting food does not come from the tank. It comes from the vine. Amen to that. Thank you very much, Robert. That is so insightful. I really appreciate that. We're going to take another little break here and we'll come back and we'll talk about the wines and their distribution because I'm sure listeners will be curious about where to find them. My guest is Robert Eden, a very unique winemaker at a very unique winery called Chateau Maris in the south of France. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Thanks to endless food shows, innovative cookbooks, and fierce competition between world-class chefs, what we eat today is far different from what our parents and grandparents feasted on. That means we have almost endless choices when we sit down for a meal. But it also means that wine pairing can get a little trickier than white with chicken and fish and red with beef. At Total Wine & More, there are countless wines to pair with your meal, no matter how exotic or off the wall it may be. And the best news is, if you tell your total wine expert what's for dinner, they can guide you to the perfect wine match. And even if you just wanted a little inspiration without leaving home, you can log on to TotalWine.com for inspired food pairings and awesome savings. There's more in store at Total Wine and More. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. You know, every week we encourage you to look beyond the ordinary and seek the extraordinary. That's why you definitely want to check out Winery Direct at Total Wine and More. These are products that are identified by the yellow shelf tag 
in their stores and online. You can learn more at TotalWine.com. And now let's continue our discussion on Grape Encounters. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And oh my gosh, this is such an interesting story because, you know, we've talked about biodynamic grape growing, you know, many times on the show. But this just goes one really big step further. I mean, think about this for a second. They built the entire winery, Chateau Maris, out of essentially vegetables, okay? It's a hemp brick building. And if there ever comes a time that they want to return the entire property back to Mother Nature, they just bulldoze the building and they plow it back into the soil. And that's it. You know, there's no structural stuff to deal with, no rubble to haul away. They just plow it into the earth and it goes back to where it came from. Anyway, my very special guest today is Robert Eden from Chateau Maris. And we're talking about all things biodynamic from the French perspective, even though Robert is an Englishman. And Robert, when did you first catch the winemaking bug? Was it later in life or were you always an enthusiast? It was actually very early in life. The, the real story is is that, that I have a younger brother and my father, before Sunday lunch in England, uh, when I was 12 years old, would take me and not my brother down to the cellar to choose the Bordeaux for Sunday lunch before church. We'd have to open up the Bordeaux for it to breathe in typical English claret classic style. And, uh, and of course, when we opened it up, we had to check that it was all right. Now, my father didn't know anything about wine, nor did I, obviously, at 12 years old. But it was just the joy of being able to taste a, a thimble full of wine before church at 10.15 on Sunday morning, knowing that my brother couldn't. And I had to show interest in it because I didn't want my brother to take my place or be allowed to join us. So I, I, I was asking lots of questions and so many questions that my father actually gave me uh, wine books. And, and one of them was Hugh Johnson's World Wine Atlas. And it's such a great book to read about wine, lovely maps and photographs of people and labels and vineyard sites all over the world. So I just got drawn into it from, from a very early age. And then uh, uh, in my gap year actually went to Australia and, and never came back uh, from the winemaking world after that. So I started pruning vines in, in the Barossa Valley and and then continued on to the Hunter Valley and, and then just never left the wine world since then. Just been traveling the world until um, I settled in the Languedoc. Man, oh man, you have such a great story. I think your life would make a terrific movie. I was just visualizing the scene with you and your father and brother. Oh my gosh, that's just beautiful imagery. I can't even tell you how much my imagination runs wild when I hear stories like that. Anyway, let's wrap things up by talking about the wines that you make. Well, there's, there's um, uh, obviously we make uh, Chateau Maris, which is the, the wines from the vineyards, which I own in, in the south of France, uh, 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 near Carcassonne, 125 hectares of biodynamic. And that's uh, predominantly Syrah Grenache. And we do a, a, a little bit of rosé and a little bit of white wine from Grenache Gris. And then I, I work with a number of other farmers in the area of the Languedoc-Roussillon, or the, what I call the Mediterranean area, where we make uh, Maris wines, we make uh, a Maris Vermentino, uh, we make uh, a Maris uh, uh, Zero Sulfur, a Syrah Grenache blend, make uh, some other uh, red blends from around, working with organic farmers uh, uh, around the Mediterranean. And then going across the border, because we're very close to Spain, uh, going across the border and working with uh, uh, Spanish organic producers to make a, um, a, a series of wines 
Minds Called Home, which we work with uh, we work with here in the United States, which is uh, exclusive to Total Wine and More. Wow. So the home wines, which is H-O-M, include how many varietals and how many blends? We're doing uh, 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 some classic varietals, uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Cabernet, uh, Merlot. These are really uh, they're good expressions of the variety made from organic grapes. And what I'm trying to do here is, is, is just make delicious organic wines for the Winery Direct program at Total Wine. That's what I'm really looking to do. And, and right now we're starting with, with, with these classic varieties and we're discussing more now of how we can go into some more indigenous varieties as well from, from different areas in, in Spain and France and, 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 and maybe further afield. I think it's pretty cool that you're making both Bordeaux and Rhone-style wines. It's pretty unusual, actually. Well, it's, it's nice to work with other varieties with the basis of deliciousness as being your, your guiding light. Yes, I, I love the fact that a variety expresses itself as it truly should. But also, at, at the same time, it's, it's about making delicious wines. And, and that's something I find coming, you know, when, when I can work with viticulturalists, I can work with the vineyard farmers a lot better because they hear what I'm saying when I'm talking about perfectly ripe fruit. When we get perfect perfectly ripe fruit, then we can make delicious ones. And uh, I really think that, that that's something which I enjoy doing. And sometimes, you know, people will impose a, a picking date, which is not really necessary. We can really wait for the right picking date to happen. And we understand, according to each vintage, what the weather patterns have been. And so therefore, we can understand the different strains and stresses which the plant has gone through in order to produce the grapes that year. And then we can understand and respect its ripeness and get there make sure that we we pick it at its optimum ripeness and therefore to to make delicious wines. Man, Robert, I love your passion. It's so beautiful. So what is your overall production right now? And for people who are listening, where can they find your wines? I know that they're available at Total Wine & More. Can you point us to the wines that you would most want us to experience first? To be more specific, what wines should we taste first? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the Chaffinaris wines you find in, in a lot of the sort of um, independent, what I would call the independent retail outlets, uh, specific uh, restaurants. And then you have the Maris wines, which are more readily uh, available both in both in restaurants and in, in, and in larger, larger retail outlets. And yeah, I think the Maris wines, are, uh, they're very approachable very early on. Chaffinaris wines, I, I'm a great believer that a wine never tastes bad. If somebody tells you that it's going to get better, I don't believe that. I think the wine always tastes good, otherwise it's a bad wine. The only thing which is going to happen is it's going to evolve. We then made, I've made a very small amount of 200 cases of six of a very old vine, 80-year-old uh, Grenache vines from uh, on the Chateau Maris uh, uh, property uh, which went into what's called a Robert Eden Signature uh, Blend, which is exclusive to Total Wine and More. Uh, that's a wonderful wine coming from the 2000s 16 vintage, uh, a very handcrafted, very, very particular wine. And then the, the home wines uh, are, are available throughout the uh, 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 the winery direct program at, at, at Total Wine and More. All right. Well, Robert, that was a wealth of information. I, I mean, honestly, I learned so much today. I have uh, talked about biodynamic wines for a really long time on Grape Encounters. But, you know, some of the insights that you gave us today were really, really unbelievable. For people who want to know more about the wines from Chateau Maris, you can just go to chateaumaris.com. Do I have that right, Robert? 
Robert, oh my gosh, it looks like we have lost Robert. Well, anyway, we're just wrapping things up anyway. So there is a wealth of information that you'll find at chateaumaris.com. Some really great photographs there as well. Robert, if you hear me right now, what a great time we had with you today. I can't wait to just find my way to the south of France and we'll hopefully spend some time together and drink some of your wonderful wines together. That is going to do it with our interview with Robert Eden. And again, you can just go to chateaumaris.com. Wines are available at Total Wine and more and at a lot of other places as well. So just Google the wines and you will find them. And I assure you, you will enjoy them as well. All right. One thing I wanted to share with you, if you're not familiar with our new podcast, we have a brand spanking new podcast. It is called The Wine is Talking. And we get into a lot of different topics that we don't get into on Grape Encounters. A little bit, I would say, edgier kind of a podcast than Grape Encounters and some very different topics we take a really deep dive into. So I want to encourage you to go to thewineistalking.com and really check out our brand spanking new podcast. There are about nine new episodes there right now. We're launching a brand new episode every single week. So go there and subscribe. And by the way, if you want to make sure you don't miss any episode of Grape Encounters Radio, you can also go to grapeencounters.com and you can subscribe to our podcast there. Or you can go to all of the usual podcast sites like iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher. Grape Encounters can be found on almost every single podcast site out there. So if you are missing anything that we've done, just search for Grape Encounters and you'll find the podcast at pretty much any of the podcast sites that you enjoy and love. So just be sure to subscribe and that way you won't miss anything that we do on Grape Encounters Radio. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue our discussion from last week on the uh, similarities between wine and whiskey. That coming up next on Grape Encounters Radio. Stay with me. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. 
Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. And we are back with the home stretch of Grape Encounters Radio. And I'm also glad to say that my voice is mostly back after nearly 10 days of laryngitis. I can't believe it. 10 days of being almost completely silent. Now, a lot of folks were happy to hear me shut up for a while. But thankfully, there were more well-wishers who offered all kinds of tips, including the tried and true hot toddy, which of course consists of honey, lemon, and a healthy dose of whiskey. Now, that definitely does work well, and it's very apropos given the fact that we're giving some quality time this week as we did last week to an examination of how whiskey and wine are more interconnected or similar than you might think. Now, if you listened last week, you'll recall I had on a friend and colleague, a very dear friend, Eric Olson. He's a world-renowned chef, but he's really kind of changed careers lately and started an amazing business called the Central Coast Distillery. And that's where he makes everything spirit-wise from vodka to rum to gin and even tequila. But most of all, he's making some really good whiskey. And the really cool part about what Eric is doing is the fact that he's located right here on the Central Coast of California, where we mostly make wine. And best of all, his distillery and tasting room are literally just about 30 feet away from where I'm broadcasting right now, just across the courtyard from the Grape Encounter studio, which has given me the opportunity to observe and learn a whole bunch of stuff that I never knew before about what goes into making spirits. But even before I started observing Eric practicing his craft, I recently came to realize just exactly what has really been the catalyst for the production of spirits, not just in our wine country here, but in wine countries all over America and, in fact, all over the world. What it boils down to is the fact that distillers have figured out that you can take the byproducts of winemaking and distill those down into basically clear spirits, which, of course, doesn't explain where dark spirits like whiskey come into play. But stay with me because I'm going to take this thought further down the road. You see, the thing is, it takes a lot of equipment, a lot of investment to set up a distillery for the production of any kind of spirits, even if you're just a small mom-and-pop operation. And so once you start making vodka and gin, you realize that you have this enormous investment. And so what do you do with it? Well, for most, you just naturally move into other spirits because you've already coughed up the dough. So why not make whiskey? And so that's what a lot of people are doing, and it's really, really raised the bar in terms of how much quality whiskey is actually being produced in America today, and even in places like California that weren't particularly known for whiskey. Anyway, while whiskey has very little to do with the production of wine, they have become interrelated because you've got all this equipment sitting there, and you want to put it to maximum use. And so every year we see more and more distilleries popping up in wine countries. And that same commitment to making premium boutique wine can be seen at work in neighboring distilleries. 
And I might also note that more and more wineries are adding spirit production to their operations. But there's a lot more to the story than that because it really gets interesting when you look at the barrels that are used for both wine production and whiskey production. Now, a trend that's literally growing by leaps and bounds is what I guess we could call some very serious cross-pollination that a lot of consumers may not be aware of. First of all, it's useful to know that the very same people who are making barrels for whiskey production are also making barrels to age wine in. But what's becoming more and more commonplace is for a barrel that started its life in a distillery to wind up in a winery in the not-so-distant future. And the opposite's also true. That is to say that barrels that originally were used to age wine in often find their way to distilleries. Now, what's the point, you ask? Well, even though wine and whiskey may seem like odd bedfellows, the flavors that they leave behind in the barrels that they were aged in can have a very positive influence on the next product that finds its way into that barrel, meaning wine aged in a barrel that once held whiskey will pick up some of that whiskey flavor, resulting in a very unique flavor profile that could not have been achieved any other way. And of course, wine barrels that are later used to age whiskey have a similar and surprisingly delicious effect on those spirits. Now, whether we're talking wine, whiskey, or even beer, both producers and consumers are always looking for the next big trend. Now, there was an article a few years back in the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle by wine columnist and sommelier Holly Howe that likened the trend toward whiskey barrel-aged wine to some less radical trends in the wine business that we've all observed. Howe's list included the elevation of Pinot Noir to nearly godlike status due to the rival's endorsement by Miles, that fictitious lead character in the movie Sideways. Another trend, the almost meteoric rise in popularity of Italian Moscatos, which have been riding a wave of interest in sweet wines, and the equally profound interest in rosés that have earned significant support from fine restaurants and adamant wine riders. Now, among other noteworthy trends cited were fine wines being served out of kegs and the huge proliferation of wine apps that are influencing consumers in a very big way. Now, Howell says, and I have to agree, that wine aged in whiskey barrels may well be the latest craze. She notes, I must admit I was a bit concerned. Don't get me wrong, I like bourbon and I like wine, but combining the two together sounded like a disaster in the making. But Hal admits that the bourbon barrel-aged wine fad is officially in full swing now, and she expects it's going to continue well into the future. She says, I mean, the makers of bourbon and scotch have long been known to use old wine barrels to age their whiskeys, and it's worked beautifully. The barrel still has hints of the wine that it once contained, and it will permeate the flavor of the spirit, giving it an added dimension that can be very pleasant. Anyway, I think it's certainly safe to say that innovation is running wild in whiskey, wine, and beer circles. And much of that forward thinking comes from looking back at what the folks making other adult beverages are doing. There is certainly plenty of room to collaborate. And for those who want to experience the very broad range of incredible whiskeys being made these days, you'll definitely want to find your way to Las Vegas on Thursday the 17th and Friday the 18th of October for Whiskey on the Rocks. It's an incredible total wine and more event 
where you can sample some of the world's most sought-after spirits. At the event, you're going to mix and mingle with over 30 star distillers and master blenders as you enjoy over, get this, 130 tastings of some of the finest spirits and limited-release whiskeys. It's the third annual Whiskey on the Rocks, October 18th and 19th in Las Vegas. You can learn more about this sensational Total Wine and More event at TotalWine.com. Just click on the Whiskey on the Rocks ad on the homepage. And speaking of home, it's time for me to call it a day and head back to Mikasa. Be sure to join me back here in a week at this same time for your next Grape Encounter. Brought to you by Total Wine and More.